Thank you and uh, good morning. We come now to God's Word. If you have a copy, you would be invited now to get that out. And uh, if you have ears, I would encourage you to open them up. And if you have a heart, you might want to open that one up too. And uh, let's have a great time together here as we open the, the Lord's Word. We also, uh, in a little bit, will be partaking in the Lord's Supper. And so I want you to know that, and perhaps even as we spend time in God's Word, you could allow this to prepare your hearts for what He has for us at His table. We are in the, uh, the home stretch in an answer to a question that the Apostle Paul is answering that the Corinthian church had written to him, and they were wondering whether or not it was okay for Christians to eat meat that had been offered to an idol, and who and whether or not Christians could attend uh, temple feasts that were held in honor of the pagan goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of the city of Corinth. And this is a long answer. He began it in chapter 8, verse 1, goes all the way through chapter 8, all the way through chapter 9, all the way through chapter 10, and concludes in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, you may wonder why he took so long to answer this. You can ask him someday. (laughs) I don't know. But since we preach verse by verse through the Bible, and we believe that every word of the scriptures is for our good and is inspired by God, that means that we want to work our way through everything that God has for us here in 1 Corinthians. So uh, this is a long answer, and we have been working through the long answer, and we're almost done with it now. So as we saw last week, Paul makes it clear that regarding the question of whether Christians could attend an idol feast held in honor of a a pagan god, he says, no, you cannot. This is not a matter of Christian liberty. Uh, This is a reality that as Christians who are partaking in the Lord's Supper, we are fellowshipping with Christ himself. We are participating in his in his body and in his, the, in, in his blood and in the redemptive benefits that those bring. And to walk out of church after eating at the Lord's table and to go around the corner and to eat at the table of Aphrodite is also an embracing of what she represents. And she is no God, actually, but behind her are evil spirits. And he says, I don't want you participating with demons. So don't do it. And there were principles from that that we uh, drew last week regarding the jealousy that God has for his glory and for his name. He's jealous for his glory, so should we. Well, what about finally now this whole matter of whether Christians can eat idle meat? And how do you handle the awkward situations that arise when you have Christians that are together and have different personal freedoms or not freedoms on these issues. And as we've been working through this, many of you have been asking me, can you get more specific? I mean, can you actually lay out some of those issues today and tell us what to do? And I have uh, uh, skirted those and have stayed on the idle meat level uh, for maybe some obvious reasons, wisdom being one of them, but primarily because I want to create a paradigm 
uh, a way of looking at these things from the idle meat perspective so that we can apply them to the issues that are contemporary to our, our church and our families. Because you know what happens when, when, uh, when Christians get together from maybe different perspectives, even maybe within the same church, but definitely from different denominations and backgrounds. What oftentimes happens is that we get talking about not the things that we have in common, but the things that we have in disagreement, right? So somebody might say, oh, are you going to that church? Oh, are they still doing uh, such and such? Well, yes, we are. I can't believe that they're doing such and such. My church, we don't do that, right? And then, and then you say, oh, really, what are you doing at your church? Well, we do this at our church. And so you can see how these conversations happen. Or if you have Christian family members and you get together at the holidays and you know, you inevitably get talking about what's going on in your life and how, what's happening at church. And, and you get, we don't talk about the things that we hold in common. We get talking about these kind of things and it can be awkward. So how do Christians navigate through these somewhat controversial issues that people feel conscientious about and to do so in a way that honors the Lord? That's where we're going with this. And so here's what Paul has to say in answer to uh, this question. 1 Corinthians 10, and uh, we're going to be studying verses 23 through 30. So here's what he says. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the market meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience for the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience but if someone says to you this has been offered to us in sacrifice then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience i do not mean your conscience but his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And then finally, and we're not studying that this this week, the overarching goal he gives in verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now we are going to study next week verse 31 which is one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible. I think it is one of those verses that has massive implications, and I'm kind of giving a promo for it this weekend because I want you to come back next weekend, and uh, we're going to talk about how to live a life, how to have a lifestyle that is oriented around the primary goal of all creation and indeed God's goal himself, and that is to glorify the Lord. All right, so now we are going to take these verses apart. And the first thing that Paul says here is that personal freedom in Christ is important, but it is not ultimate. Okay, personal freedom in Christ is important, but it is not the ultimate issue. Again, verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now, if you look carefully in your Bible, you can see 
that there are quotations around those words, all things are lawful. In verse 23, it's repeated twice. And the reason that it's in quotations is that this is a, this is a quote. It is a kind of, uh, kind of slogan. And we talked in chapter 6 about slogan Christianity. This tendency that we have to have little truisms, little pithy statements that we hold to, we've memorized, and we apply them to any situation where we think that they, you know, we just roll them out and we say them over these kinds of issues. And this is what the Corinthians uh, were doing with this particular slogan. All things are lawful. All things are lawful. Might have been a might have been a sermon title from when Paul was there. You can almost see him uh, notice on the PowerPoint today, my sermon title, All Things Are Lawful. And they kind of grabbed onto that, and it was just one of those things that they, they, they sort of got. And, uh, you know, it, it, people do the same thing today. We have little, state, little pithy statements, little proverbs, Christian truisms, little bumper sticker kind of things that, that, we, that we hold to. Here are a few. Uh, like this is a bumper sticker. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. Okay, that's very nice. Thank you. Uh, Jesus is my co-pilot. Thank you. I heard of a bumper sticker recently that says, honk if you love Jesus, text if you want to meet him. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. It's funny, last night, I said that, some people laughed, and then they like kept laughing as people got it. It took them a little while. (laughs) Everything is lawful, or as the NIV translates it, everything is permissible. And of course, who wouldn't love that little bumper sticker? Who doesn't love the thought, "I, I can do whatever I want to do. Everything's lawful. That's right. I love that. And from a certain theological and biblical perspective, that is true. Particularly if you are talking to somebody who has been practicing Old Testament kind of Judaism where they are accustomed to having to fulfill the ceremonial laws. If you want to explain to them that Jesus has fulfilled the law and now the things that were previously not allowed, they now are allowable. Everything is lawful. It's true from a certain perspective. But what they were doing is they were rolling that thing out and applying it jolly well whenever they wanted to. We know this from chapter 6, for example, where the question was whether or not, and to us this is kind of crazy that this would even be a question, but this was the question. Is it okay for a Christian to go to Aphrodite's temple and to join themselves sexually with the, with the pagan uh, prostitutes? And you know what the Corinthians were saying? You can see it for yourself in chapter 6, verse 12. They were saying, everything's lawful. Wow. <laughs> if you're willing to apply it to that, you're willing to apply it to just about, to just about anything. And th- they were applying this to the whole matter of Christian liberty. They were insisting that I have freedom in this area. Everything is okay for me to do. Everything is permissible. And Paul here affirms that. He repeats it twice. All things are lawful. However, and and by the way, let me just add one more thing before I do the the however. It is true and it is wonderful and it is to be celebrated that we are free in Christ. 
that we do not have to live by those old Levitical laws, that he has fulfilled it. Nor do we have to live by any man-made measures of spirituality. That's why we don't want to be legalistic and we don't want to create our own perspective on spirituality. We just want to live freely in Christ under God and according to the scriptures. And so this, we want to affirm this, okay? We are, we do not want to be, we do not want to be uh, legalists in any way. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So in Christ, all things are lawful. However, just because I have freedom in a particular area, that is not the ultimate measure of whether or not I should express that freedom. The final criteria for my freedom is not my desire to do it or my freedom to do it, but rather the impact that my actions are going to have on my fellow Christians. That's what he says. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And that word is translated elsewhere as uh, profitable. Not all things are expedient. Not all things are prudent. It, It literally means this, to bring together in a positive way. Not everything that I have freedom to do is unifying, harmoniously building, edifying, Freedom has to be guided by a responsibility for whether I should do it or not. I I got thinking about the line from Jurassic Park where, if you know the movie, it's about people getting eaten by dinosaurs, primarily, which is most of the fun of it. Um, But in the movie, the the guy that creates the park is explaining to the visitors what he did and how he did it and all that. And he, uh, one of the characters played by Jeff Goldblum is Dr. Malcolm. And he listened to all of this and his reply to him is, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Could, should. Freedom, responsibility, lawful, edifying there is so much about living the christian life that really comes down to a kind of wisdom where i don't necessarily have to express every freedom that i feel in christ particularly when i know that my doing of that is going to negatively impact my brother or sister in christ my responsibility ultimately is not to my freedom but to the ethic of love and the expressing of that towards the people that I am in fellowship with. When somebody is requiring or demanding the expression of their freedom, it is a sign of immaturity. Like a teenager who who insists, I am going to do this, I'm going to do what I want, and I don't care about its impact on the family. That kind of attitude is a sign of great immaturity. He is in bondage to self even while he thinks he is free. So Paul is insisting on a better way than just simply cavalierly expressing my freedom. And here it is. Our freedom and the expressing of our freedom must be ultimately guided by what edifies others. That is the bottom line. That's the meaning here of not all things build up. The original word there literally means to build a house. 
It's translated uh, in one translation, not everything is constructive. Not everything edifies. Not everything builds up. So spiritual maturity weighs the impact that my actions are going to have on people that God loves and that I am called to love as well. He says in verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So freedom in Christ and the people that that celebrate their freedom, it is not an absolute freedom. It is a freedom that is guided by responsibility, a recognition that we are in community with one another. We are. This, This church, Bethel Church, there isn't anyone here whose actions do not either have a positive momentum or a negative momentum to this entire congregation. Your life, your service, your attitudes, your actions have a ripple effect far greater than any of us realize. Which, of course, is a good thing to say on Ministry Fair weekend when uh, we are encouraging our entire congregation to uh, consider how they may, how you may, how we may uh, use our gifts and to serve the Lord. A question to ask is this, what if everybody did what I do? What if everybody in this church served like you serve? What if everybody in this church had the same attitude generally that you do? What if everybody stewarded their resources the same way that you do. Would that be a positive thing or would that be detrimental to the congregation? What is the impact of my life and my attitude on others? Does it edify? Does it bring positive momentum? And the Corinthian response here, it was, was this, but I am free to do it. I have, I've got freedom to do it. And Paul says that is not the issue. In fact, was Jesus free? He was the freest who's ever lived, don't you think? As the son of God, absolute freedom. And yet, what did he do with his freedom? He gave it up, didn't he? He laid down his freedom and his rights and the privileges as the son of God. And he died for the church. And here in a few minutes, you're going to hold a piece of bread. You're going to hold a cup in your hand. And as you do, I want you to think about this. This is a visual representation of a truth that my Savior, the Son of God, gave up his freedom for the good of the church. And if that's what our Savior did, how much more should we, don't you think? How much more should we, don't you think? Hmm. Indeed. I read of a pastor who preached this uh, passage to his church, and he uh, had a great idea. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, and and he told his church, he he got to this point roughly in the message, and he said, there's microphones across the front here, and what we want to do is we want to have a time of testimony where you can share some of the things that you've given up for people in your church. And so let's just do that right now. And so... He sat down and waited for, you know, all the people to come up and to share how they have sacrificed for their fellow Christians. Nobody came up. And the response after the message was, 
a member of the church saying, for the first time in my life, I realize that I don't really give up anything for the sake of others. Would that be true here? Would that be true for you? I remember hearing uh, John Piper on a, he had a series of messages about preaching and I've like worn those tapes out. I've listened to them many, many times. And he tells a story in the series. He was speaking at the tape series is from a series he did at Trinity, but he's telling the story in his message about preaching in Brazil. And he said, I was in Brazil and, and there I was. And, and, uh, I was speaking at a conference or gathering of pastors or something. And, and he said, and I had some time to kill in the hotel. And he said, so I went to my room and I looked at the television and I thought to myself, maybe I'll turn the TV on. He said, but then I thought to myself, and I guess this is true, that Brazilian television is even racier than than our television is. And he he said that. I thought to myself, you know what? I'm not going to do it. And in this, here's how he tells it in the story. And you want to know why I did that? He said, because I want to have power today. That's how he said it. Okay. I want to have power today. And I don't want the sight of anything sensual to steal my joy in Christ and my proclamation of truth today. Now, is John Piper free to turn on a television in his hotel room? Of course he is. But there was a more important goal that he had in mind, and that is what will edify? What will help promote the kingdom of God? And I may have freedom in it, but I'm going to restrain that freedom so that I can do what is going to be most beneficial for the church and for the body of Christ. There's a, there's a great example of it. And so many things in life and living in community with one another really come down to this kind of thing. Because think of, in this room right now, think of all the different perspectives on all the potentially divisive issues, theological or otherwise, primarily here though, lifestyle things where we don't see eye to eye on it. And some of you think it's good, okay to do, and some of you think it's not okay to do, and some of you have backgrounds that would say that is absolutely wrong, and others have backgrounds that say that is absolutely awesome, and we have so many things like that here within just this church. How, how do we handle them? What do we do? And the first thing is, is that we do not insist upon the expression of our rights, but we think about the impact that my freedom and my attitude and my actions are going to have on the people that God loves and that I am called to love as well. And then just to ask this question, if Christ was willing to give up his freedom to save us, how can we do anything less? All right, so that's the first point. Personal freedom in Christ, it is important. And I'll tell you, it's very important to me. I have... I have uh, I've come from a background where there was a lot of man-made measures of spirituality. And I've told the church in the past, you want to get rid of me, just decide that we want to go that direction because I am like out of here. I don't want to live that way anymore. It is important. However, it is not ultimate. It is not the ultimate thing. Love. Love is. Now, his second point is one of my favorites, probably my favorite point here in this message today. Uh, And if you come from a background similar to mine, which I just referenced, I think that you may love this point as well. Here's what Paul says. He essentially says this, that meat is meat. 
Meat is meat, and God calls it good. So don't ask too many questions. Look again at the verse, verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. All right, now here's why I love this point. Because what Paul does here is he quotes from Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the, and the fullness thereof. Every pious Jew would say that or pray that in Thanksgiving before they ate the meal. It was a very well-known truth. Okay? And they, they celebrated as reason to give thanks for the food that you're eating. Paul takes it and says, listen, that means that what you are eating is something that God has provided. And since God has provided, it must be good. And if God calls it good, don't call it bad. Eat it, essentially, is what he is saying. Now, the reason that I love this point is that I come from a kind of background where, and this is an overstatement, a little, (laughs) where there was a little bit of a sense that you could know whether God wanted you to do something or not by whether you enjoyed it. Because if you enjoyed it, God doesn't want you doing it. (laughs) Pleasure is a great indication of God's uh, sanctioning of it. Now, if you hate it, if it hurts, if if you despise it, that's what God wants you to do. So that pleasure was viewed very suspiciously. And it was, in my opinion, a bad theology of creation. Where what do we know about creation? God created the whole world. And when he was done, he looks at it. And what did he call it? He said it is. And then a little bit later, he says it is very good. Very good. Sourced in God. A gift from God to us. Now, it is fallen. It is not what it was. But it retains much of its beauty and much of its sensory pleasures that God intended for us to enjoy. That is why he gave you a nose to smell and eyes to see and ears to hear and fingers to touch. I'm missing one. And, and oh yeah, taste, which is very important to this church, I know. Uh, and taste that we can enjoy. And oh, by the way, look at the world that we live in. It's a sensory world where we can taste things and see things and hear things and smell things, and they bring delight to us. God intended them to bring delight to us. Not that we love them for their own sake, but they are opportunities to give him praise for them. As I often quote from Augustine, he loves thee too little who loves anything together with thee that he loves not for thy sake. That is how we keep pleasure from becoming an idol to us is that The good pleasures, the things that are holy and that God has called good, we enjoy them for God's sake, and we give him thanks for them. This is 1 Timothy 4.4. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Now, that is not absolute. That doesn't cover every perversion of the good things that God has done. That doesn't cover every twisted way that man's sinful heart can can uh, corrupt the good gifts that God has given. But in the things that God has given and that God has called good, we should feel a little freedom to enjoy them. 
And there are all kinds of brands of Christianity that don't look at things from that perspective. And that's kind of where I mostly came from. In fact, I wonder here, have you ever wondered why fundamentalism starts with the word fun? That's my favorite line in the whole message right there. Indeed. Okay, so here's how Paul applies that teaching to the meat, idol meat issue. He says, when you go to the meat market, which was a kind of a supermarket where they would sell the meat that had been offered and other meat as well. When you go to the meat market, don't be too spiritual about it. Don't go up to the counter and say to the, to the guy or gal that's working there, Can you tell me, was any of this meat offered to an idol? <laughs> Don't worry about it. That's what he says. When you go to the meat market, just buy it. Don't be overly scrupulous. Sometimes we are that way, aren't we? We have these overactive consciences and we feel like we've got to explore every possible angle and make sure that every, every possible wrong is avoided and all the rest. Paul is basically saying, just be normal about it. God made it. It's meat. Eat it. Grill it, marinate it, A1 it, savor it, smack your lips when you're done. Love it. And I'm glad for meat. Aren't you? And here at third service, doesn't it just sort of begin to stir the uh, appetite a little bit as the lunch hour is approaching? Oh yeah, definitely. I like what I wrote here as well. All meat is God's meat. All meat is God's meat. So don't try to be too spiritual about it. And there are many things, I think, that, uh, that God intends for our good and our enjoyment, but we over-spiritualize and, and say it ain't right for us, you know? And there's going to be a lot of us, and I probably am going to be one of them, actually, who I think we're going to get to heaven, and we're going to stand before God and say, well, God, I want you to know I never ate that, I never drank that, I never did this, I never did that, never all my life. And God's going to be like, you should have, it's good. <laughs> he intended it for our pleasure, and we get all spiritual about it and avoid it. Now, Paul does hear what uh, a good teacher would do. And if you've ever been in a situation where there's some kind of a maybe controversial teaching that's being offered, perhaps like today, (laughs) uh, you know that people have a lot of what if questions. Yeah, but what about, what about, what about? And he anticipates a what about question now. And here's the question. What, What if, let's just say, Paul, that my neighbor invites me over for a grill out and I don't know where that meat came from. What do I do then? Well, he answers that now uh, when he says, eat whatever is set before you. Finally, a verse many of you have fulfilled all your life. (laughs) Eat whatever is set before you. Without raising any question on the ground of conscience. He's basically saying here, 
Again, much like when you go to the meat market, don't ask too many questions. When you go over to your neighbor's house for dinner, just eat it. Don't feel the need in that moment to, you know, stop everything and to say, before we eat now, and this is an unbelieving neighbor, he says, before we eat now, I must know whether or not this has been offered to an idol because I do not eat meat offered to an idol. Don't ask that kind of question. Just be normal. Just eat it. In a way, he's kind of saying ignorance is bliss here. Don't make it a conscientious issue if you don't have to make it a conscientious issue. Or as my dad taught me growing up, don't ask the question you can't stand the answer to. That's a similar truth. Make a great bumper sticker. Uh, Be normal. Okay, now, another what if. Let's just say, Paul, that my neighbor invites me over for the grill out. And then I find out that my neighbor on the other side of that house has also invited to the grill out. And let's just say that that neighbor is from a different church and that I don't know whether or not their conscience is free to eat the idle meat and we're sitting at the table. What should I do? Well, here's what Paul says in verse 28. But if someone says to you, and the idea here is at the dinner, at the neighbors, as you're about to eat, This has been offered in sacrifice. Then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. Okay, now here's a very practical help. And those of you that have been asking for some advice on this, here is a a helpful one. When we are, let's walk this scenario. When you're sitting down at at the table and... You're about to, you're not asking questions. You're just going to eat the meat and your conscience is clear. Even if it is offered to an idol, you're just not worrying about it. But if somebody is sitting there and they say, this has been offered in sacrifice, i.e. this is idol meat. Paul says, don't eat it for the sake of conscience, not your conscience, but his conscience. And the idea here is the fact that he has brought it up indicates that his conscience is weak on that particular issue. If it was strong, he wouldn't care if he was eating it and he wouldn't care if you're eating it. But now he has made it a conscientious issue for him by pointing it out to you. Now the whole loving your brother principle comes to bear. Now the point is not that I get to eat the steak. It is my brother. So Christians oftentimes, I think, don't respond well in this moment. In fact, here's two two common responses in a moment like this. One would be to see it as an opportunity to argue the point. Oh, you don't say. This meat's been offered to an idol. Well, don't you know all things are lawful? Don't you know that Jesus has fulfilled the law? Haven't you been listening to Pastor Steve at church? We're okay with eating this stuff. And I can't believe you'd bring it up in front of this, my unbelieving neighbor right here. I'm so embarrassed for you. I'm so sorry that we're having this little disagreement here in front of you. But we are. There's there's a principle here, and I stand on principle and conviction. Argue the point. Okay, not a good idea. That's not what he says to do. The other thing that Christians will do in a moment like this is they will flaunt their freedom. 
Oh, you don't say. It's been offered to an idol. That's right. I'm free. You're not. I'm mature. You're not. I'm the strong. You're the weak. I'm right. You're wrong. Pass the A1. (laughs) This happens, all right? Now, is arguing it edifying? Is flaunting freedom building up? No, it's not. And that's the thing. The person who brings it up is theologically wrong. And the theologians and the spiritual people have to argue every point to the nth degree and show that they are right. And Paul says, just don't eat it because you love him and because his conscience is now guiding your actions. So for the sake of conscience, don't eat it. Not mine, his. And defer to your brother. And that's having the right priorities. There are things that are more important than stake. There are things that are more important than proving that you are right. Unity is more important. Love is more important. Unity tastes better than steak. Love tastes better than steak. And so, if you're in a situation, in an environment where you know that there are other people that have an issue with the thing that you maybe can participate in, graciously, kindly, restrain your freedom for the sake of your brother and love him or her in the doing of it. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. Sometimes these are the most helpful things. I'm going to give you an example that I experienced uh, not so long ago where this kind of thing happened to me. Okay? So it's a little bit of a perilous illustration, but I'm going to forge ahead anyway. (laughs) Uh, I was at a wedding reception uh, not so long ago, and I sat down at the table, round table. You can visualize this. And at the table, there were a few people that I knew And there were a few people that I didn't know. Some of the people that I didn't know were sitting next to me. And there were two of them. It was a young couple. uh, And I discovered that they're involved in some ministries. And she's a pastor's daughter. And so we're just having a nice, normal sort of wedding reception conversation. I, of course, was... All I could talk about was the bride's dress. Um, But... (laughs) (laughs) Um, the time comes for the toast and I, on the table, there were bottles. And as you know, sometimes when you go to wedding receptions, there are a variety of beverages that are offered and It's hard to tell on the bottle what exactly is in there, whether it's sometimes they have alcoholically stuff and sometimes it's sparkling grape juice or whatever. So I don't know what it is. And so the the toast is happening and the woman who is sitting next to me says, Pastor, I want you to know that this is alcoholic. As she is about to drink it herself. 
All right. Are you seeing the analogy here? All right. What do I discover in that moment about her? Well, first of all, if she was truly strong on that subject, not only would she feel free to participate, she wouldn't have a problem with anybody else participating and would not at all see the need to inform anybody at the table the exact content of the beverage that is a part of the toast. And by the way, a little side note, if you're thinking about the whole alcoholic thing, we have clear teaching on this subject available in the bookstore, and I don't have time to get into all of it. It is itself a fairly complex issue, but I'm going to footnote that uh, and offer that as a resource. End of parentheses. So, um, I know that she thinks that she is strong, but she is not, and she is pointing this out, feeling the need to point this out to me. What do I do in a moment like that? Whether or not I feel the freedom to do it, which is not what I'm talking about, I am discovering a lot about her. I have options in a moment like that. I could say, great, I hope there's more where that came from. But if she's pointing that out to me, that's not an answer that is going to build her up. She's going to be shocked, offended, troubled, whatever. I could have pointed out the duplicity of her pointing it out to me and feeling free to drink it herself. And how incongruent that is, theologically inconsistent and overall spiritually hypocritical. That doesn't go over well with the other wedding guests that are there. That's probably not a building up kind of thing. So what do you do? Paul is saying you let the other person's conscience be the guide. I know her conscience is not free for me to be participating, whether or not I would have, but I know that it's not. And so Paul says, when you're in a situation like that, just refrain from it. There are things that are way more important than whatever little pleasure the eating of the idle meat would, would bring. And this is how we are called to love one another. And what it does is when we defer to other people in these things, it honors them. It shows that I'm putting your interests ahead of my own. And in doing that, I am saying to the unbeliever who's sitting at the dinner table, this is what Christianity is all about. We we don't just say we love one another. We defer in love to one another. And it is a powerful testimony to the reality of the gospel. Similarly, when we want to go to war over these idle meat issues, and they see us arguing and all kinds of contention, what do they think? They think, well, they say they're about Jesus in love, but they're really about these little pet issues that seem to be so important to them. And it undermines the gospel testimony. So Bethel, I just want you to remember, it is not about the eating of idle meat. It is not about the drinking of champagne at the wedding. It is not about the uh, participating in a Sunday Sabbath. It is not about involvement in some cultural thing that maybe there is disagreement about. This whole thing is not about those things. It is about love for one another. 
which is befitting followers of the one who gave up all of his rights in order to save us. That's what it's about. Because it is not the eating of idle meat that will display that we are God, that we are followers of Christ. It is not the uh, practicing of a Sunday Sabbath or not. It is not the drinking of the champagne or not. It is not any of these cultural things. It is this, John thirteen thirty five. By this will all men know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. And the application of love to these controversial issues is one of the best ways that we can show this world that we mean what we say and to not let them become divisive to keep the main thing the main thing and to not let a minor thing become a main thing it is not about those things it is about christ it is about salvation and as he says in verse 31 it is about the glory of god here's the final thing that paul says and that is that while love requires adjusting our lifestyle or our actions It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to adjust our conscience. And this is a very helpful balance to what he has just said. Because you could take what he just says there, and all of us would be walking around on eggshells, freaking out, worried that we might offend somebody about something. And I have been in Christian contexts where everybody's kind of like deferring always to, you know, maybe say it this way, in fear that maybe somebody somewhere might be offended by something that I maybe have done at some point in my life. And Paul is not suggesting that. He wants us to be normal people and to feel a kind of freedom around one another, to not ask too many questions, just, you know, do your thing. But when you know it's a problem, then be deferential. My liberty is not bound by somebody else's conscience, the expression of it maybe, but I don't have to change my conscience to the weaker brother. The weaker brother is wrong. So we don't need to readjust all of our consciences to an improper theology on some of these issues. As MacArthur says, we are to modify our actions for the sake of others, but we are not to modify our consciences. So implicit in what he is teaching here is that I, when I am not with people who are weak on a particular area, that I am free to express my freedom. So context is very important. Here's another practical principle. Context is important. If you have an area of freedom and you're in a context where it's unlikely that you're going to be messing anybody up with the expression of that freedom, then you should feel free to express the freedom and to enjoy it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So there might be a difference between what you do in the commons after this service and what you do in the privacy of your own home. Or what you do in your small group than what you do on vacation. In those places, there's a low likelihood that there's going to be any, a weaker brother or any kind of an offense. But be careful when we are in places where others may be affected. So bear that in mind. Now, some of you are like, well, what about this? And what about that? I don't know. I've told you what the Bible says. These are principles that need to be applied, and I can't answer every what if. And we need to be gracious with mistakes that we make on these kind of areas, because it's hard. It's hard, and we're not going to agree on all these things, but let's be okay with that and to love one another anyway. And finally, God's goal, God's glory is the goal. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And that really is the ultimate thing. Can I do this to God's glory? 
Can I, can I participate in this activity to the glory of God? And I am looking forward very much to preaching that next week. I hope it's one of the best we've had here. We will see. All right, let's pray.